This week I met with an artist that is a sculptor. And he and I have had a few meetings from time to time, and so he had invited me to lunch, and I met him for lunch. If you invite me to lunch and you're paying, I'm going to come. I'm just happy to be there, you know. And so one of the things that I have in my to-do list before I go to heaven is I want to leave something for our family that reflects and represents the values that we have had through the years and we've lived and that each of them can have for their family and maybe pass on to their children. I have certain things from my grandfather and from my father that uh, are precious to me that, uh, you know, I guess besides my books and my, my uh, wife's, our, our wedding album, I can't believe I said my wife's wedding album, but our, our wedding album, that are, I would try to save in a fire, it's just those things like, they symbolize something to me. They're, they're decorations in the house, if you see them. You might not even know that they're there. You might look at it and go, why is that there? But it's, it's a decoration that reminds us of who we are and where we came from. This particular idea that I've had, that I've been working on, I just shared with him, and he goes, I love it. And I said, well, do you understand? He goes, no, but I can see it. It's beautiful. I go, no, 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 no. So I had the chance to, to explain to him what this sculpture would mean. And at first his eyes kind of glazed over. And then as I talked to him a little more, he kind of got the idea. And then he told me again, he says, I love the idea. And I'm not about to buy a sculpture right now. But he said to me, he says, I'm going to draw up some designs from what you've told me. And he says, let's keep talking about this because this could be very beautiful. And I want to talk to you this morning in this series that we're on. I want to talk to you about a few of my favorite Christmas decorations and what they symbolize and why they're so very important to us. Because our decorations, the Bible has a lot of positive things to say about decoration, but we would never get finished with this message if I went into that. But just let me tell you, there are some positive things. The Old Testament temple was filled with decorations that symbolize things that the Jewish people would have understood. And many Christians appreciate those symbols because they point us to Jesus. We see why those decorations are prophetic because they point us to Christ. And I know a number of you at times have asked me about the temple and the tabernacle and the decorations that were there and how they pointed to the messianic ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we've enjoyed those conversations. But decorations can sometimes help us to understand truths that are eternal and truths that maybe we can share, like I had this opportunity to talk to this sculptor who is not a Christian about our faith and why we believe what we believe and his eyes went from being glazed over to suddenly beginning to have some light in them because he got it. Now, I'm not a big decorator. My, my wife loves to decorate. As a matter of fact, we live in a neighborhood that some people in our community, they just go bananas decorating their houses. I mean, they ought to be on National Lampoon the way that they, they decorate their houses. You know Detroit Edison loves them very, very much. I'm not one of those houses. Jamie Kelly, who is uh, one of our 
our citizens here in the metro area of Detroit. The news reported on her in 2016, and I saved the story, is how that she and her family had tried to keep up with all of the decorations in their suburb, and they couldn't keep up. So finally one year, Miss Kelly went out and had a sign carved out of wood, scrolled out of wood, it said ditto with an arrow pointing to the right and she outlined it in white lights well the newspaper came out and took a picture of her of her ditto because she said we just simply gave up on trying to keep up with the neighbors they just kept outdoing us every year well those lights they have a symbolism to us like all the lights you see in here and next sunday morning i'll be talking about a few of my favorite Christmas lights and why they are so special to me as well. During COVID, Sarah Pascucci lost some of her family members during Christmas season. Her father actually would come over every year and put up her Christmas decorations right after Thanksgiving. And within a few days after having put up her Christmas decorations, he died. She had some other family members that died. And in February, she still hadn't taken down the Christmas decorations in their HOA. And so somebody put on their Facebook page just criticizing her about not taking them down and told her it was stupid and it was absurd to get them down. Well, she wrote back, says, I am so sorry. I know they should be down now. And she explained to them what I just explained to you. And suddenly in their neighborhood, all of a sudden, everybody started decorating their houses for Christmas again. Isn't that an amazing story? The compassion that it brought out because what the enemy meant for evil against Sarah, God turned it around for good. And she felt the love and the embrace of her neighborhood. I want to be that kind of neighbor, don't you? And I really, really want to understand what these decorations are all about. They're pretty, but we just don't want to have decorations for the sake of art or beauty. We want art that communicates. I did a wedding here in the sanctuary at Christmas a number of years ago, and I had permission to share the story. And I had led the bride to Christ. I'd led the groom to Christ. And when they got married, she and I did their premarital counseling here in my study. She wanted to wear a white gown, but she said, I can't wear a white gown because we've been living together, da-da-da. And I said, you can wear a white gown if you want to. The Bible says that when Christ has forgiven us of our sins, he has cleansed us from our sins. And she says, I don't think I can do it. And so I talked to her. I had Becky talk with her. And a few days later, she and her fiancé discussed it. She had a custom-made gown that was trimmed in red. I said, oh, that's beautiful. She says, Pastor, it represents the blood of Christ. Like when we take communion, I'm wearing white because the blood of Jesus has cleansed me from all my sins. Isn't that wonderful? I mean... Even as I share this with you, my little boy inside is jumping up and down that somehow or another we capture what these symbols truly, truly mean to us. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand with me and let's go to the word of the Lord this morning. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, and I'll read through the second verse of chapter 6. For God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. And then in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. 
As God's partners, we beg you not to toss aside this marvelous message of God's great kindness. It's kind of what those Jewish people were saying to us this week in Detroit. Please don't let us be forgotten. Tell the message. It's what the Bible is telling you and I. Don't toss aside the message. And what better time of the year for you and I to share the good news of Jesus Christ so don't toss aside this marvelous message of God's great kindness. For God says, your cry came to me at a favorable time when the doors of welcome were wide open. And I helped you on a day when salvation was being offered right now. Say that with me. Right now. I was only used to hearing the term right now when I didn't respond to my mama fast enough. But this is a positive right now. Right now, God is ready to welcome you. Today, he is ready to save you. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? Right now, God is ready to welcome you, and God is ready to save you today. Father, in the next few minutes, I ask you to help us, Lord, as we open our eyes, as we open our hearts to your Holy Spirit, Help us to grasp the significance and help us to be able, Lord, to plant the seed of faith in the hearts of all of our friends and family and especially our children. For it's in Jesus' name I ask. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. You know, one of the fascinating things about this verse of Scripture I read to you this morning is the truth that it communicates. That on the cross, Christ was treated as if he had did everything I had done so that I might be treated as if I had done everything he did. Let me repeat that for you again, if you could put that up on the screen for us. On the cry, cross, Christ was treated as if he had did everything I had done so that I might be treated as if I had done everything he did. Now think about that statement that I wrote for you there. On the cross, Christ was treated as if he'd done every evil, wicked thing, thought everything, did everything that I had done. So that I, that you, could be treated as if I had forgiven others, loved others, healed others, saved others, fed others, opened their blinded eyes, as if I had created the world, created this beautiful planet. I am treated because of what Christ did for me as if I had done what Christ had done for everyone else. Walter Wandergreen writes about this in a book about the passion of Christ that we'll talk more about closer to Easter. He said, this is a mystery that Christ can be the obedient, glorious love of God and the full measure of our disobedience both at once. What Christ did at Calvary was obey the will of God. When Christ took our sins upon himself, he was being the obedient son of God, but he was being the full measure of our disobedience at the same time. It's still something that is so hard for me to grasp my mind around that's the reason that I love singing songs like Amazing Grace or a song that was popular in the 80s because it really brought back. Rich Mullins wrote the song, Our God is an Awesome God. And this week, a very educated man in our congregation used the word awesome to me. And, 
I guess he felt like he needed to explain it to me because he said, I don't mean awesome like I like it or awesome. I mean awesome in what the word really means. Awesome means that we would be flat on our faces if Jesus Christ appeared in this place this morning. This awesome thing that God did for us. Well, let's talk about these decorations for a moment. God gives us decorations to remind us of our faith. God gives us decorations to remind us of our faith. That's why he gave them in the Bible. You took communion this morning. Communion is not a decoration, but a symbol. That's what a decoration is. It's a symbol. We took communion because it's a symbol of what Christ did for us at Calvary. His body that we received, his blood that was shed for us, these wedding rings that I have on, the top one is my father's ring. The one that's closest to my heart is the ring that Becky gave me. It's actually the fifth wedding band that she gives me because I break them often. But it's the, she's the wedding band that's closest to my heart. But it symbolizes something. This ring that I wear was given to me when Becky and I were, were praying for children, couldn't have children, and a friend of mine who's a jeweler made this ring with my initial on it and a symbol or a decoration on the side of it. This is a shaft of wheat, that sheaf of wheat that is to symbolize fertility. And he says, my wife, Joe, and I have been praying for you. Danny and Joe Culpepper, we've been praying for you, and we believe God is going to give you children. And every time you look at that ring, remember that prayer promise. So there are things that remind us of our faith. And by the way, we're the proud parents of four children and four grandchildren. Somebody say, come on, victory this morning. God is a good God. And so when I look at these things, they remind us of his promises. I oftentimes see people wearing crosses made of diamonds or crosses made of beautiful emeralds and jewels. I, I don't have a problem with that, but may I remind you of what Pastor Clarence Jordan said, who pastored a little church in America's Georgia, he said there was a time where Christians could get a cross for free. Do you get it? Where many were persecuted for their faith, they were put to death for their faith. Look at Exodus chapter 12 and verse 25 with me. When you enter the land the Lord has promised to give you, you will continue to observe this ceremony. <clears throat> then your children will ask, what does this ceremony mean? In other words, can you explain what the Passover means to your children? So the message is not lost. Can you explain what communion means to your children? Can you explain what the decorations mean to your children? Let me show you another symbol of our faith that's in the Bible. And in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19... The Bible says this hope, speaking about Jesus, is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Say that word with me. Anchor for our souls. Now listen to what it says. This hope, this anchor for our souls, it leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. How does an anchor lead us? Isn't an anchor meant to hold a ship in place, hold a boat in place? Well, one night I was watching an old movie, and they would throw the anchor out, and then they would pull the boat along the chain till they reach where the anchor was out. Then they'd throw the anchor again, pull it again. I found out there's a word for that. It's called kedging. It's how a boat will get through a channel or through a canal by throwing the anchor out. Friends, as we throw our blessed hope out, as we cast our hope out, it's an anchor for our souls, and it pulls us through difficult times like COVID. 
It pulls us through difficult times like cancer. And it gives us hope in Christmas that Christ who came to save us from our sins is one day coming back to rule as king again. Can you say amen to that? That's catching with hope. And so when I think about some of the treacherous places we go through, I want to remind myself of what these decorations and symbols mean. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. If someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Look at your neighbor if you know them this morning and say, can you explain your hope? Can you explain your hope? Barbara, can you explain your hope? I know you can. I don't even know. Vic, can you explain your hope? Come on, Victory. You see, but now let me give you a warning. And this warning comes from one of my mentors, Dr. Milford Addison, that I served for a number of years. And he taught me one time when we were talking about symbols and decorations, he said there's always a danger that Christians will allow symbols to replace our faith. We don't worship the cross. We don't worship communion. We don't worship this building. But they are symbols that remind us of reality of our faith. I want you to think of decorations as joyfully sowing seed into your children and into your neighbors. Our children, we would take them every year to buy a Christmas decoration as they were growing up. They're doing that now with their children. And on our Christmas tree, you would see like a little acorn that one of them had picked out. We never picked it out for them. We let them pick it out. We never tried to influence them. Only one year did we influence them because it had been a tough year financially, and we bought some very inexpensive Christmas ornaments. And how many of you have been there before? Which, you know, you don't want to put Christmas, you never want to put Christmas on a credit card, okay? If you can't pay for it, just take that as how God's going to work in your life that year. So they've got these little bitty ornaments, but they probably mean more to them because they remember how God provided for us during that challenging and difficult time. There is a long-term impact that comes because every year when we pull those ornaments out, they would talk about them. They would talk about what they meant. And I've even heard one of my sons telling his sons what the decoration meant. And I saw the effect of the seed that was sown into his heart. So let's look at some of them. The Advent wreath that I didn't grow up using and that we've never really used in our church, but suddenly I've become very fascinated with the Advent wreath. We have one in our home this year. We're using it in our devotions. But the Advent wreath reminds us of our Savior's mission. Some of you probably grew up in a church where the Advent wreath was a part of every Sunday morning service where you lit a different candle. I have studied that. I've tried to find out what the meaning of it is all about. And Perhaps next year we will use an Advent wreath in our church during the Advent season because the Advent wreath reminds us that Christ came, really did come to earth, that Christ really was born, that Christ became a man, but it reminds us again that Christ is coming again. Now, I've taken a few liberties with the Advent wreath because it's not necessarily in the Bible, but the principles are there in the Bible. Number one, let's just look at some of the things that the Advent wreath reminds us of. And Matthew, Matthew reminds us that Jesus is the king. The four Gospels remind us of the Advent wreath. And you might want to write this to the side of your outline. Matthew 1.21, name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew writes about the coming of the kingdom of God. 
In Luke, he says, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people of Israel. So the Gospels reveal Jesus, number one, is king, Matthew 2, verse 2. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We have seen his star. We have come to worship him. In the book of Mark, now you're going to have to keep up because there's a lot to cover here. In the book of Mark, we see that Jesus is the servant. Remember Isaiah's prediction of the suffering servant and the Pharisees missed this, but we see Jesus is the servant. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So 800 years before now listen, 800 years before Christ was born, Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would be the suffering servant and he would give his life as a ransom on the cross. So when you see one of those candles, you can think of Matthew, king. You can think of Mark, his servant. But in Luke, you see him as the healer. Because Luke portrays all of these healing miracles. And by the way, Luke portrays more of the work of the Holy Spirit than any other of the gospel writers. So let's look at Luke 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And if you have a broken heart or your body is broken, you're sick this morning, look to Jesus as your healer today. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The acceptable year of the Lord was the year of Jubilee, when all debts were forgiven and everything was restored to its proper order. How many of you feel like you need the restoration of God in your life this year? Could I see your hand this morning? You need the restoring power of the Lord. That's what Christmas is all about. Can we give him a hand? a praise for that. It's just fascinating. And then, if you look in the book of John, John reveals him as the Savior. These are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. King, servant, healer, Savior. Does that sound like a full gospel to you? Does that sound like a complete gospel to you this morning? That's what Advent is all about. Now let's look at these candles for just a moment. The first candle that we lit in our family this week is called the prophecy candle. The prophecy candle. It points to the fact that Jesus is the hope of the world. He is our anchor. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 13, Oh, may the God of great hope fill you up with joy, fill you up with peace, so that your believing lives filled with the life-giving energy of the Holy Spirit will brim over with hope. How many of you would like to be energized this Christmas and just overflow with hope that everybody that came close to you felt like they got touched by the Holy Ghost Energizer Bunny this morning? Could I see that hand? Lift them up. How many of you said, I could use some of that right now? Sure. Especially if you're the homemaker and you're working outside the home and you're baking and cooking and you're doing all these things. You're just like, oh God, I need this. Well, when we did the prophecy candle in our, in our home this week, our two children, they're still at home. They could explain that. And when our children come home and we have devotions over Christmas, we'll say this again. I want to plant the seed in their heart. The Bethlehem candle points to Jesus' birth. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, 
The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Mary was a virgin. The Holy Spirit moved upon her body. God who created the world, God who created the earth, God who created everything that's in it and the universe, God who created human beings was perfectly capable of causing Mary to conceive without a human father, the Son of God. And there, when we light that candle, we're proclaiming our faith in what Christ had done. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 31, he, he quotes again Isaiah to a virgin, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. Then the next candle, next week's candle, would be the angel's candle. Jesus Christ the Lord has been born. And oh, I love this candle. The more I've reflected on it and thought upon it, Every time we sing a Christmas carol in this church, when we were singing that final song this morning, I didn't, but can I just be honest with you? I wanted to do a little bit of this while we sang that song. But I know you, oh, holy hop, okay. It might not have been that holy, but it's what I wanted to do. Because Christ, the hope of the world, is. don't you ever get excited? I'm telling you, if Georgia had won and beat Alabama, I'd been jumping all over the place. Why can't I hop a little bit about Jesus? Oh, don't get quiet on me now. Don't go, pastor's losing it. You know, I just see this candle when, I, when we light this candle on the third week of Advent. Yes, Christ has been born. Look at Luke chapter 2 and verse 9. The angels are rocking and rolling here. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people, for there is born to you in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Can we give him another hand of praise for that? And then the final candle is my candle. It's the shepherd's candle. It's your candle. Because the shepherd's candle is those of us who worship him as Lord. And the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And when wise men came into the house in Matthew 2.11, they saw the young child with his mother and fell down and worshipped him. The third thing I want you to look at this morning is the Christmas tree. Martin Luther did us all such a favor and there is a little small booklet you can get at ccel.org. It just has all kinds of old Christian literature that's free. But Luther's Christmas tree, if you want to read this story. But Martin Luther helped us to symbolize what the Christmas tree stood for. And the Christmas tree reminds us that Jesus broke the curse of the law. And because of time, I'm, I'm going to do some quick explaining, but... If you could just imagine if this tree was stripped of all of its evergreen branches and you took the centerpiece of this tree, you would have the, the main post of the cross. And then if you took another tree and you'd have the beam that Christ's hands were nailed to. And suddenly this beautiful tree is no longer beautiful because it's been stripped of its beauty in order to make an instrument of execution to crucify Christ upon. But in doing so, 
God took us who was dead in our trespasses and sin, and he gave us eternal life, which is what the branches, Martin Luther said, referred to. He gave us eternal life, and he decorated our life with beauty. And so when you look at a Christmas tree, there is symbolism to this. We are not mocking the pagans. We took maybe what the pagans were using in some societies, and we made it a decoration that reflects the Christian hope of the gospel. Friends, we can take whatever the enemy meant for evil, and we can use it for good. Can you say amen to that? Look at what the Bible says. Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross. He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing, for it is written in Scripture, cursed is everyone who hung upon a tree. And through Christ Jesus, God has blessed us. Excuse me. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles, that's us, with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Do you see? The curse stripped the cross. Now we receive all of those blessings that were promised to the Jewish people. They are ours included in Christ because of Calvary. And underneath our tree at home, there are gifts that are waiting to be exchanged because we exchange gifts with one another because Jesus is the greatest gift of all. And when we look at that Christmas tree, we remind our children that instead of a barren life, we have a fruitful life. And that, friends, is something that is so powerful. Two more, and then I'll finish. The bells, the bows, the holly, and the ivy, they remind us of the new covenant. They're not just cutesy little things to sing about in the song. They're they're gifts of love and gratitude. Becky and I, last year, when I wanted to go to the reenactment of the 250th reading of the Declaration of Independence, we went to see the Liberty Bell. And proclaimed upon the Liberty Bell is Leviticus 25.10. And the Liberty Bell is the most famous bell in the whole wide world. Proclaimed freedom throughout the land for all who live there. The cross is our Liberty Bell. The, the, do you know the Old Testament high priest, he had to wear a garment with little bells, golden bells on the bottom of it when he went into the Holy of Holies because he went in there after the sacrifice was made for the sins of Israel. They tied a rope around his ankle. Now imagine that as your pastor, if we were having, or imagine Pastor Corey, if, if we were during communion, We tied a rope around his ankle, and if he came up here with unconfessed sin, and because if the priest went in there with unconfessed sin, he died. God slew him. Well, they would pull him out when they heard the bell stop ringing because they knew the guy was dead. So when I hear Christmas bells, I am reminded that the sacrifice was complete, that Christ has forgiven all my sins, past, present, and future. I am free because of Jesus. Let them Christmas bells ring this morning. Hallelujah. Let them ring. Well, there's so many other things I'd love to share, but St. Nicholas is a symbol of the father of Christmas. And I know this is going to be the most controversial point that I preach. I just ask you to listen. I'm not trying to sanctify Santa Claus. Don't send me any hate mail. If you do, I'm just going to delete it. I'm not going to read it. St. Nicholas is a symbol of Father Christmas. 
Now, St. Nicholas is not a saint because some religious organization called him a saint. Becky and I are coming out of Detroit this week, and as we pass a sign that somebody so-and-so is in the process of becoming a saint, and she read that sign to me, I said, huh, the Bible says that all of us that have put our faith in Jesus, we are saints. Did you know that? We are, you're a saint this morning. Tim, I'm going to start calling you St. Timothy. Doesn't that just sound good? St. Timothy, is he saintly? Your wife's taking a moment, uh, sometimes. St. Joseph, I mean, that sounds very religious, doesn't it? And so when I, St. Cammy sitting right there. Glenn, yes, you better agree. You're in lots of hot water if you don't. So look at your neighbor this morning and greet him by name if you know him and call him St. whatever there is. There you go. Now, we're chuckling, but friends, do you realize we have a reason for laughter? Our sins have been forgiven, and the Bible declares that we are saints in Him. I don't need an organization. I need the blood and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Can we give Him a hand of praise for that? So let's look at 1 Timothy 1.11, and let's talk about St. Nicholas for just a moment. And this is, you know, this is where the figure of Santa Claus came from. That teaching is found in the gospel to announce the good news from the glorious and blessed God. Let me tell you a little bit about St. Nicholas. Nicholas was devoted to God. He was a real live pastor. He loved the poor. He loved those who were overlooked in life. He loved the marginalized. We have historical records of this. But Nicholas did something that when I ask you to give him benevolence this morning, that I was asking you to do what Nicholas did, and that was he simplified his life so that others might simply live. And if you gave this morning the offering, you had to say no to something else you wanted to spend your money upon. If you gave $100 to benevolence this morning, you said no to something you wanted to buy. If you said, gave $50, you said no to something you wanted to do for yourself. And that's what Nicholas was doing, and that's where that whole imagery comes from of those that he helped. The Bible says these words, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God, and anyone who loves as a child of God knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world that we might have eternal life for him. This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Read this last sentence with me. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Read it again. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. St. Timothy, St. Joe, St. Cammy, you're easy to love. You're very easy to love. But there are people who have no idea what these decorations mean. They need the love of Jesus Christ as well. I made a simple little video about this message and over 400 people watched that video by last night. Would you do me a favor? When I make the video about light for Christmas, would you share it? Or would you go online and share even the video I did this last week? Would you 
take and would you share what Pastor Mark has created for our Christmas Eve service? We had 39 first-time guests here at this church. Some of those were back for the Christmas dinner. Sometimes coming to Jesus can be a long process for some people, and for other people, they respond right away. Would you love people this week? Would you cooperate with us? Let's be willing to sow a seed of faith, hope, and love in other people's lives and invite them to worship with us to hear the story of God's amazing love on Christmas Eve. Would you do that? I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and I'm going to quickly go over the growth work, and we're going to pray. I want you to encourage one another with these truths that I shared with you about. I want you to think long about the tree. If I'd have went on, I just, I know the time is getting late and I don't want to wear you out, but I would have told you how the, the, the ribbons that we wrap around our tree, how the book of Hosea says that God drew us with cords of love. I would have told you about the holly that was originally named Christ Thorn and how that thorn of crowns was made and the early believers that came to know Christ in Europe, they changed the name that it was originally called to Christ Thorn because when they saw the red berries and the thorns, they thought about Christ and they wanted to use it as a tool to share their faith. Christmas is filled Christmas is filled with prophetic signs that Christ has come and that Christ is coming again. And as your pastor, I want you to be ready. As your pastor, I want you to stand in the presence of Jesus <coughs> with the testimony, Lord, this one heard, this one heard, this one followed Christ because you gave me the opportunity to build a friendship and a relationship with one another. Start a daily devotion out of this message this week with your family. Be sure your children understand these truths. Fourthly, give God thanks daily for your life in Christ. Every day, and there are a few days that may pass by, but every day I sit down and I write what I'm thankful for. And there may be a lot of repeats in that, but there's something, hear me now, there's something about me writing down my thanksgiving for my salvation. It's like throwing that anchor out and catching down that channel because I look back and I remember what Christ has done in the past and whatever I'm facing in the future, Christ is the anchor of my soul. He is my hope. If I can stand the pulling, God is going to pull me through. Can you say amen? And then finally, be like St. Nicholas. Look for somebody you can bless this Christmas. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise? These truths are amazing to me. Jesus, I thank you so much for Christmas. I thank you, Lord, how late I was to coming to understand just what Advent was and the blessing that it is. So this morning, I pray for my family here at Woodland. I pray for my friends who are watching online. I ask you in Jesus' holy name 
God, you will help me to simplify my life so that others might simply live. I, I ask you this morning to let me enjoy without any sense of guilt all of the beauty and the joy that you brought in my life through Christ's suffering for us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that I will present you as king, as servant and savior and healer and recognize those moments that I can share that good news. And I thank you that the anchor of my hope is none other than Jesus Christ. Now, while your heads are bowed and eyes are closed and Christians, imagine what could happen if all of us are praying. If just begin to pray that lost people will put their faith in Jesus. Would you pray right now? Imagine the impossibilities that become possibilities because you're praying right at this very moment. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never committed your life to Christ, or maybe you've gotten discouraged and wandered away, I'm asking you to pray with me right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for Christmas. I thank you that you are the king of my heart. I thank you for taking my sins upon yourself. Lord, I thank you for becoming everything I have done so that I might become everything you did. Hallelujah. Thank you for treating me with love and kindness. And as much as I know how, I confess my sins and put my faith in you today. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. And if you prayed that prayer, please let me know. Stop by our welcome booth in the back and pick up a gift we'd love to give you. Now may the Lord of Christmas, may the Lord who came and who is coming again, fill your hearts with hope. May you hold on to your anchor of hope and may you find as you catch your way through life, there are people on the shores waiting to be rescued because you passed by. God bless you. Have a great week today.